This is the fear of science. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Fear of Science, the podcast that dives into the wide world of science and science-adjacent topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new science-related fear, along with special guests, surprises, and discoveries along the way. My name is Daniel. I'm Jeff. And we are in uh, the wonderful castle that is... Vancouver Public Library in the Inspiration Lab uh, for our latest edition. Yeah, we're doing uh, Fear of Video Games tonight. Um, so yeah, we've got a couple guests on. This is the first time we're testing this out tonight, see how it goes. But one of our guests is a phone-in, literally my phone uh, right in front of the microphone. So the definition of a phone-in. Uh, so uh, I believe calling all the way from, from Hyrule. Yeah, Hyrule, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll get our phone-in guest to introduce themselves. I'm uh, Ash Madison, and I'm a um, software engineer. I work for EA, but I don't represent EA. I'm speaking for me tonight. Cool, Excellent. thank you for being here. Welcome, Oh, Ash. thanks for having me. And who else do we have? And I'm Landon Trybuck. You would probably know me as Captain L if you follow Super Smash Bros. at all. I'm also a software developer, but I'm here because I'm a professional Smash player. Um, ranked 50th in the world right now for Smash Bros. Ultimate. Wow, nice. that is cool. I am not ranked 50th in anything. Aww, uh, one no. day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so glad to have you both here. Um, you know, especially because uh, uh, I would say that uh, we are currently we are currently living in in a, in a super extended video game golden age, right? Like mm -hmm. there's so much video game, so many video games, video game systems, video game content uh, for people to to enjoy. And yet, of course, uh, you know, there are uh, absolute positives about that and perhaps some negatives about it as well. Yeah. So with every episode, we'll start with the same question. Uh, why are people afraid of the subject? Uh, for this one, it's a little bit different. I don't know if we're necessarily talking about a fear of video games, but maybe a caution of video games. Why do we think that people are cautious of video games? So, from my standpoint, I actually do think that a lot of um, arguably people from my generation, I'm not a young, I'm not a spring chicken, are afraid of video games and a lot of what they represent. Um, you know, we're one of the first candidates that get uh, blamed whenever there's a mass shooting. I mean, the last big shooting that happened in the States, first thing to come out was video games. Um, that does arguably add into the fear of, of us as an industry. Um, we're not a traditional, you know, one could say, uh, sporting-ish uh, Sporting-ish uh, uh, a venue, I guess, is a good way to describe it. Right. Um, and you know, esports with the rise of that, uh, what does that mean? What does that mean from an entertainment standpoint? Uh, we are a big business. We arguably changed how entertainment is delivered, and we continue to change that. Um, and there's always the fear of the next great video game crash that happened in the eighties. Yeah, that's so true. There's fear all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now I am afraid of video games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. 
from from my perspective, I, I definitely see a lot of parents who are afraid that their kids are going to grow up with these like pro esports stars as influencers and like think that they can just quit their job, quit school, and play video games for a living and make it a living. And that is honestly a very legitimate fear. And I think that one's totally valid because it seems so glamorous when you see your favorite professional esports athletes and you see them on the big stage and you're like, wow, that can be me if I just practice hard enough. And I will say it's one of the hardest things to like succeed at. As in, there's so many people who try and very few who really actually turn it into like a sustainable living. So definitely something to be cautious about, but obviously I'll talk more about how I think that it's still a very good thing and can be a very positive thing as long as you go about it in a, you know, cautious and smart manner. Right. Interesting. Uh, for myself, I, I think that, you know, video games is is like any other form of mass consumed media where it can be a very easy scapegoat in terms of, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, comic books were, were thought to be a, a horrible blight on society. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, certain D &D. D Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, uh, you know, certain TV shows. And, you know, even, even recently uh, in the news, as of time of this recording, um, there's media reports of, people saying that the new Joker movie starring mm -hmm. Joaquin Phoenix is going to have a, a negative effect and could influence people to go out and do horrible things. Um, yeah, it's true. And, you know, that's one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about as well. Um, what responsibility or is there a responsibility on video game producers uh, for violent content, uh, much like the the Joker movie. Does Warner Brothers have any uh, kind of um, like? Do they need to be held responsible right. due for what due diligence? What might right. happen? And it's still just a might. What do you think, Ash? So that's a really really challenging question because we are a regulated body. I mean, the uh, video games has a rating system in place that says you know if you are playing this game and you have to be at this specific age and that's been around you know forever um, even well maybe not in the 80s but definitely in the 90s the ESRB rating uh, the problem is arguably it's not heavily enforced um, right. how do you enforce something like that on Steam how do you enforce something like that at Epic Games um, I used to work at Radio Shack and when I was back in the 90s and you know you'd sell um, what is it, the uh, Sega Genesis games, and there was an ESRB rating on that. You had to make sure that, okay, well, if you're buying this for your kid, well, make sure that you're you know, buying it age appropriate. Um, I haven't bought in a game for my kids in ages. I mean, my youngest is 19, so I don't have to worry too much about that, but I haven't bought in a physical game in like five or six years. It's all been online, and if you've got a credit card, there's that assumption that, well, you know, you are able to actually purchase it. Right. Are we as, you know, an industry responsible for somebody that decides that, you know, they want to take you know, violent measures towards, you know, kids in a school? You know, probably, but, I, but possibly. Not probably, but there's a possible. I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around. Mm -hmm. um, where are the parents? How are the parents involved? What was the mental state? Lots of different aspects feed into that 
if you wanted to. I mean, the, the standard thing is to go to music, go to the films that they watch. People are, 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 are products of their environment. Um, and that arguably, you know, is a larger question. And it can't just be boiled down into playing video games. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I, I think it's a, it's a big, difficult thing. And when a tragedy like that happens, uh, everybody wants to blame something. So they tend yeah. to go to the teenager or the person's apartment or room, and they find what they were interested in. I remember it was Columbine. Everyone blamed Marilyn Manson for it because uh, the teenager had Marilyn Manson's music. Um, so I think it's something they also, that's always going to happen, they, right? And, uh, and they also blame Doom video games for it as well. And, yeah. or, or was it Quake of the Dark? I think it was Doom. Um, but, I mean, again, I, I honestly believe it's a product of the environment. And, you know, it's not just one facet of that that issue. It, it definitely is multifaceted. And you can't just say, you know, hey, it's all because of X. Um, you know, to shirk the responsibility, we try to do what we can, much like every other industry, um, especially in the entertainment industry, to try to regulate who gets to see what. I mean, if you at 14 are going in and seeing a restricted movie, um, you know, that's a different issue, uh, especially when you can crack open Netflix and see that content. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it, it's it's you know it's not an easy solve. Does it require more um, watchdogging? I'd like to think not, but you know there is blame to go around all over the, all over the place. Yeah. You know, I think part of it, too, is that we really have to be looking at mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that if if we had the systems in place to help the people who did this, uh, that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have to be blaming anything, right? Right. Right. I 100% agree on that one. We are woefully inadequate when it comes down to supporting people with mental health issues. And, I mean, that goes all the way across the board from, you know, violent sociopaths to folks that suffer from depression and anxiety and, Mm -hmm. you know, the other gamut of issues. Um, We are in a connected world, and um, I have a daughter that suffers from depression and anxiety because, in a lot of ways, of being so connected and so always on. When I was a kid, yeah, there was bullying that happened at school, but I could go home and it was turned off until the next day. Um, It doesn't turn off these days. It's 24-7. And that's that's absolutely horrifying. Yeah. I think, you know, part of it, too, is that the the Internet. uh, I blame the Internet for everything. (laughs) It's all the Internet's fault. Um, No, because... uh, there's just that constant connection, like you said, um, that you're you're creating this uh, anonymous entity where people can go and support each other in very disastrous thinking. Um, yeah, and uh, the anonymity that you get behind and because of the internet is arguably a a very challenging issue and a very challenging problem to try to solve because I mean I remember the Penny Arcade comic uh, ages ago where they you know, essentially you know broke boiled it down to anonymity plus you know um, the ability to be on the internet 24 hours a day led to some really really offensive behavior uh, I'm not going to say exactly what it said because it was rather 
truism. It, it's the fact that if people are anonymous and can say anything and it has no repercussion, a lot of times folks are going to be, you know, repugnant. Right, absolutely. Because they can be. Right? Now, uh, uh, Landon, you know, uh, uh, picking backing off of that, uh, Landon, I was wondering, um, you know, when we're uh, talking about being online all the time and, and pe the anonymity of, of people being able to say anything and do anything behind this wall. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, share a little bit about your experience perhaps in the Smash Brothers uh, community. Um, is there, uh, you know, not a pro gamer, love Smash, uh, I walk around asking people if they want to Smash. Sometimes <laughs> I get really confused. Yep, sometimes it doesn't looks, go well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sometimes goes great. Not a video game. <laughs> Um, but but I was wondering, uh, you know, is how uh, how is the community, you know, in, in a very small sample size mm -hmm. for yourself, um, what is the online community like, say, for for a game like Smash Brothers? Is it healthy? Is it can it be negative? Um, what has it been like for you? Well, it is a very tight knit community in the sense that people who are in the Smash community tend to not be in very many other online circles. Mm -hmm. So it turns into a little bit of a high school-ish thing where everyone knows everybody and we've all been interacting with the same couple thousand people for like the last N years or whatever, right? So for me, actually, it's the exact opposite of anonymity. There's, there's literally none. Like every single thing that I do is on public watch and people honestly get quote unquote canceled for things that they said even if it's in like a private server and people will be like oh this person said that he's such a terrible person never let him go to tournaments blah 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 and that, that does actually happen all the time and like my stance on those issues aside it's very not anonymous at all it's okay. very different okay. now as for like the health of the scene itself I personally love it and I love almost everyone in it but I'm right. also very optimistic about a lot of things right. so there are people who think and say all the time oh Smash community sucks everyone here sucks why are we such a bad community I don't really see it but I I know that that sentiment exists so it must be for a reason right. like now uh, uh, I'm just curious uh, who do you main who do you uh, so Pikachu Obviously, that's why you're very optimistic. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's, there's like character main stereotypes, and I don't know. There's, there's like one Pikachu player, the most, the most popular one. He's like super, super optimistic about the character. The rest of them are like kind of iffy. On and it, but, every time um, I play Pikachu, it's just like lightning bolts all over the place. Because uh, yeah. why else would you? I'm, I was about to say why else play Pikachu? Obviously, that's why I'm not a competitive player. Yeah, he's, well, he's seen as one of the best characters right now, but I'm still trying to drop him in favor of Shulk. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh, now uh, uh, just a follow-up question, though, uh, because, you know, say a game like, say, Smash Brothers. Smash Brothers is, like, ooh, is Smash Brothers a violent video game? You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who says it's violent, especially, like, in the context of, like, video games causing mass shootings or whatever right. people are trying to, like, assert. They definitely wouldn't look to Smash Bros. for that because it's very cartoon violence. That, right. That'd be like saying Looney Tunes caused violence back in the day, which I don't <laughs> I, think... I, I, actually, I'm willing to bet that we could Google, we yeah. could find out... I'm that. sure that you could find someone saying that, but it's not like the, the popular... Okay. We all know Looney Tunes is mainly racism anyway. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Looney Tunes caused racism, not violence. And, and, you know, this is literally just me, you know, trying to... Uh, just thinking about this randomly right now. But Smash Brothers is a violent video game. You have bats, you throw giant turtle shells at at your, your enemies, you try and KO people, um, you know, you, you do a dragon uppercut on someone. So it, uh, ostensibly, it's a violent video game. But... Sure, but if you're going to be looking at it like that way, so is WWE. 
which mm. I do love. Oh. <laughs> Nobody he's, talk about WWE like that. He's challenging so. your love, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, to me, the jump between like Smash Bros. and being a violent video game is like saying Mario Kart causes crazy reckless drivers. <laughs> like, it's so far True. removed from reality that I, I don't think that people are trying to make the argument that it's a violent video game, or if they are, it's not like, it's not the most popular target for that. And again, video games causing violence, that, that idea, it's mostly about finding a scapegoat anyway, and usually... It's not the go-to. If they had a blood effect, though, on Smash Brothers, that would be a violent game. The closest thing is one character, like, has flowers pop out of her when she gets hit. Oh. I'm not kidding. Wow. Um, Now, uh, uh, because, you you know, uh, uh, because Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat was was the big one in the 90s. Super violent. You know, uh, Grand Theft Auto. You know, uh, very. You know, that was a big one. That was in in the the news and in in the, um, in it was being debated by by politicians. But like nowadays, like I'm just curious, like uh, what is? I I think I already know the answer, but what is the violent video game? When people talk nowadays about violent video games, it's not you know what is it? Hmm. Are we thinking like you know like the the uh, uh, like the shooters? Yeah, it's largely shooters, I think. That's what I would say. I've actually never owned a shooter, but that's kind of just because it's not the game that I tend towards. Like, I did own some fighting games, and I played a decent amount of Mortal Kombat, so that's probably about the extent of my extreme video game violence history. Um, And I definitely agree that one's, like, super, super gory, but I've never really played shooters. Now, what about these ones, like, uh, Ash, I believe you... You have a lot of knowledge behind this as well. Uh, ones like uh, Call of Duty or some of the ones that are emulating actual war. Right. So I actually equate those ones, like Medal of Honor, because that was the VR version of that was just announced today, and Call of Duty and all the variants of those. I actually equate those more to uh, war films mm-hmm. than I would to violent video games. Uh, if we were to talk about violent video games, we are talking about games like the new Doom Eternal, like um, anyone, if you're going at the FPS genre, um, the newest Mortal Kombat is arguably a very, very graphically violent game. Uh, uh, to, to, to quickly just jump in and then I'll let you continue. Uh, there, sure. was, there was news articles um, when the new Mortal Kombat 11, I believe it's Mortal Kombat 11. Um, I believe it is, yeah. Uh, the the developers on Mortal Kombat 11, um, it came out that a number of them had PTSD from from putting in all of these brutalities, fatalities, and from watching some videos of brutalities and fatalities on YouTube, uh, I had to actually like stop because I was like, like I I love Mortal Kombat, but there was even a point where I'm like, wow, this is a lot. Wow. It's a lot. Anyways. So, again, it comes down to the fact that, yes, it it may be. I can't, you know, validate the veracity of that statement. But one of the things that I, again, go back to is the fact that if it's violent, it's rated appropriately. It would not be available for, hopefully, the hands of minors. Right. Um, but, again, it comes down to the fact that, you know, is that enforceable in this day and age of being able to just, you know, turn on your Xbox One, turn on your PS4, and with mom and dad's credit card, just download the game after purchasing it. Yeah. Now, that being said, there are also a lot, and I do mean a lot, of uh, parental controls and systems in place to protect against that. 
connections to walk out those kind of that kind of content. Right. Uh, so again, it comes back to this statement of you know we need to you know, we especially as a parent and I'm a parent take that level of responsibility where we safeguard where we guard and we you know gate what it is we let our kids play. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, we, we have become a culture where, you know, it's easy to let somebody else babysit and raise our kids. Um, I grew up in part of, as part of the TV generation, um, but, you know, it's arguably worse now because, you know, there's access to so much more content, so much more content. Man, I, I grew up with rabbit ears, so I was like, CBC or global. Uh, all right. I still only have rabbit ears. <laughs> yeah. well, well, I grew up in the maritime, so for me it was CBC, uh, ATV, CTV, and when the weather was bad, whatever we could get out of Bangor, Maine. <laughs> yeah. One other thing that I just wanted to add to this whole point about age, though, is that I, I travel around and play in a lot of tournaments, and a lot of people who I go to tournaments with are actually like 16 and 17. Um, oh, believe it or not, so old. I know. So, no, oh, so uh, like so in, in terms of like the reflexes. Wow. They yeah, are exactly. Already but, aged out. But like they're they're going to like airports and traveling on their own and stuff. So those kids are like super mentally mature. You can totally handle these kinds of games. Whereas on the other hand, sometimes I know like 19, 20, 21 year olds who are like definitely, I would say they're like not very mentally mature at least. Um, 35 year olds over. Yeah, exactly. So I, 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 I think about ages like. Yeah, age is like a decent indicator of when someone will be able to kind of handle something and like separate it far enough from reality to not be heavily influenced by it. But it's not the perfect measure. And no. yeah, yeah. There's, there's no guarantee that at a certain age you're going to be mature enough to handle the content. You can't just like give someone a survey when they're trying to buy a video game. Do you think this will influence you? So Yeah, I still only let Daniel play Zelda right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can't even get the big swords until I'm older. I mean, <laughs> Um, I, I wonder, you know, uh, uh, this this conversation about the, you know, parents and these age guidelines, like, like again, just random thought off the top of my head, like, are are these, you know, the ESRB ratings? Is this are these movie ratings? Uh, like, are they, you know, definitely very important, and and I'm glad that these guidelines are there, but are they also like? Uh, in some ways, are they also there to make the people in power almost be able to say, "Look, we did our job. We, 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 we said that this game was only for eighteen plus. If if little Jimmy bought it and got his hands on it at the age of fourteen, well, our hands are clean because yeah. we did our job." Um, but again, it goes back to where I say there's this level of personal responsibility right. that folks have to be aware of. There's the argument that, yeah, a 14-year-old is going to go out and buy the latest to show Playboy when and if he can. And, I mean, or Playgirl, he, she. Uh, but, I mean, again, there's the amount of responsibility that we, as an industry, I mean, we do self-regulate a lot. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, does not fly because we all look at it and go, yeah, no, that's not even remotely appropriate. Yeah. Um and then you look on the Steam store, and there is some stuff out there that's used to be like pretty repugnant. But you know, I, I digress on that one. Um, it really comes to yes, I think we as an industry can do better. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, what does that mean? Um, does that mean we 
you know, actively participate in uh, encouraging mental health? Do we go out and say, hey, listen, you know, we want to make these safe events. When we do do esports uh, um, events or, or um, any kind of an arena event, is like how do we ensure that when folks come there, they feel safe, they feel welcomed, um, and that there isn't opportunities for bullying or, God forbid, anything more violent than that. Uh, of course, we're going to be do- trying to do that. Um, but what else can we do? Um, a lot of mental health issues um, don't really come down onto you know, the entertainment industry. Um, it comes down to parents and, to be honest with you, a lot of government, government bodies. I mean, mental health funding has been slashed in Canada like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say what it's like in the States, but, you know, it, it's unfortunate and, you know, arguably poor planning and poor financial planning on our government's part. Now, um, I'm just going to bring it back to uh, one of the points that Landon made earlier uh, when we were talking about the caution um, around video games was um, the fact that um, it's that whole persona or that whole idea that you're that locked up in the basement um, kind of loner type mentality um, and how now things like pro gaming is really starting to change that perception. Um, and we're now seeing people that are, what was the, the biggest pot um, for Dota 2 that they, they won? It was, oh, it was, it was in the millions. It was insane. Smash doesn't have Yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't made uh, $2 million enough? Oh, not, not quite yet. Not yet? But yeah, is, is pro gaming changing the way we look at video games, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, yeah, 100% it is. One of kind of the biggest things is it's shifting gaming from a pastime to like a career, except one thing that I think the biggest misconception is that the career is entirely focused on competition. And while that is kind of like what it seems to be on the surface, it is really, I would say, more the entertainment industry or industry. It's like you, you see like sold out stadiums and stuff to watch these pro gaming events the vast majority of the money that's going into that isn't from the 10 people on screen playing. It's from the 100,000 fans who are in the stadium and the millions who are watching online, right? Right. Sponsors as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because people who are generally speaking my generation, we don't really have cable or watch traditional sports. So how do advertisers really reach us? Well, it has to be through whatever is the popular entertainment. And for a lot of people, that's uh, esports. What is this wow. traditional sports you speak of? <laughs> traditional sports, you know, with uh, running and... Oh, oh, never heard of it. Well, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, the fact that uh, a video game, you know, uh, uh, here in Vancouver, the Vancouver Whitecaps have uh, have a, a FIFA team, I mm-hmm. believe. My memory serves correct. Yep. And I, there's also... Um, uh, for the game, right? Yes, for, oh, the, yeah. for the game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And, and like different, and I'm sure it's probably the same in, in Europe as well. Uh, let's get some research on that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but probably, you know, like huge, huge uh, sports teams from Europe probably have their own, uh, you know, esports games yeah, as well. Absolutely. So. I'm pretty sure the Overwatch team, the Titans, is owned by the Canucks. Or- oh, yes. Yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Overwatch is big here, and uh, the fact that we had Dota 2 championships yep. here last year, mm-hmm. uh, and the entire city just pretty much shut down for that. That was insane. Mm-hmm. Now, uh... well, and, and to go along with that, I mean, you know, it's not 
just um, developers try to also set up um, systems where they actually can enhance that experience. And I mean, some previous companies that I've worked for were involved in the esports market, and a lot of it was how do we go about expanding the experience for the spectator. And that's becoming a, a, a very interesting avenue of research for a lot of um, game studios and publishers. So, wow. you know, it's wow. not going away. It's going to get bigger. Yeah, wow. that is, and and that's exciting as a video game fan. You know, uh, uh, to know um, it, it, as while we're talking about and grappling with these issues, very important issues, hard issues. It is also exciting to know that the video game medium still has, uh, still has lots of places to grow and hopefully be a force for good and yeah. do good things. Random piece of fact that I, I learned today when I was researching is that the League of Legends uh, final game in the championships had more viewers than the Super Bowl. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is wow. That is that is crazy. I don't know if that's saying more about uh, pro gaming or the Super Bowl, but I, I think it's also an issue of demographics. Where Super Bowl is generally mostly popular in North America, whereas right. uh, League of Legends is a very worldwide thing, especially popular in Asia. Yeah, we're, we're looking at two dem completely different demographics. We're yeah. looking at one is worldwide and one is North America. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Um, I have tried to watch Dota 2 and League of Legends. I don't get it. I've, I am horrible at Super Smash Brothers. I've tried to play it multiple times and it's just so fast moving. It just hurts my brain. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have the utmost respect for anybody who can play those yeah. games. Well, I mean, back to the topic of you tried to watch League and Dota. Imagine trying to watch like baseball or football without having a clue what the rules were. Yeah, that's it, me it, watching it baseball yeah, or football. Exactly. It wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense. So like for the people who are like huge fans of Dota and League and stuff, it's because they are people who play those games themselves. Those are their hobbies and just watching people do what you do except like 100 times better, that's super entertaining and inspiring. Oh, I had a friend that went to the championships and he was saying it was just insane the energy and I I understand that more than watching a football game. Like even watching the Dota 2 champion, I understood why people would get so excited about that rather than watching uh what's the BC Lions game and being like <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, I guess, you know, um, uh, it's very apparent from, you know, again, we're small sample size, um, but, you know, for the four of us, the four of us are having this conversation on the Fear of Science podcast, um, I'm wondering, you know, it's, it's apparent that we love video games and that video games have had a positive impact on, on us. We have, you know, good memories playing. Some of us, uh, you know, our two special guests um, have their careers in video games. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess my question is, my question is, um, what is needed to to help combat the fear, this fear of video games, and uh, whether uh, whether on the small level that we can impact, or say industry wide. Uh, what can be done? Landon, go ahead. I'll let you go first. Okay, awesome. I have a ton to say because um, for me, video games are pretty much 
my entire social circle right now, except it's not it's not entirely an online thing. In fact, it pretty much started entirely as an offline thing. I would go to events, see people in person, hang out with them, then go back to school, which was kind of like my fake life. But then whenever those tournaments came around, that's like my real life. And that's when I would like truly come alive more or less, right? So I see this happening with like people who go to tournaments all the time. This is like how they develop their social skills. And it's, it that sounds like a bad thing where it's like, oh, now all you know how to do is talk to gamers. But no, like, these are, these are real people going out and interacting in real places all the time. Yeah. And I think that it's a fantastic thing that's made a positive impact on so many people. Like, I've, I learned how to, like, basically travel around the world and be a normal adult because of going all these places for video games. That's so cool. And I know that that's kind of like a rare experience where not everyone really gets that, but it's, it's a thing that can happen. And I think, that, like, focusing on these positive social community aspects of video games and less of the kind of basement isolationist ones i think that's how really video games can become to seen in a positive light kind of just like regular sports like you you wouldn't hear your parents saying like oh no don't go play soccer with the other kids it'd be more like yeah go out make friends do something that's fun that you can enjoy in a healthy way and i think that video games can definitely come to be that thing for this generation in fact i think that it really is coming to be that thing for this generation it's just that a lot of you know parents or such might not understand the positive influences because they might be focused on the negative influences and while i do totally agree we've been talking for the majority of the time on like the potential cautions around that i think there's enough good out there that if we focus on that and less on what you know the negative outcomes of one or two isolated cases of people who really enjoyed violent video games i think that can like definitely help people see it as the positive influence that it is thank yeah, you that's beautiful I never really thought about that. So I blamed the internet for it originally, <laughs> and now I'm thanking the internet yeah. for creating the community. Yeah, the internet loves to amplify the negative things and kind of hide the positive things. Oh, that's such a beautiful, positive message. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> do you also have a similar positive message? It better be positive. <laughs> I have a message. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we as a species have always played games. Hmm. From the earliest days, from the darkest you know, history of, of mankind, we have always engaged in games of one form or another. Um, what we're seeing is my parents' generation did not play games, but my father was like, oh, hey, an Atari 2600. Oh, what's the Space Invaders thing? Oh, that's kind of cool. Played it for a little bit, but kind of passed it by. I was an avid game gamer, you know, growing up. I'm 51 years old now. There's not a lot of time to play games as a 51-year-old male that's old breadwinner. Um, but my kids are. Um, my son was a very, very avid gamer. He actually worked at uh, uh, QA at Capcom and uh, over at Hot Hit Games. Uh, my daughter, she plays Smash Brothers with her boyfriend in Edmonton. Um, my youngest daughter, however, doesn't game at all. It's a generational thing for games to become part of the social conscience, hmm. uh, social conscience. Um, as more people play games, and as we you know, generationally pass that love of games on to our children, it's going to become more and more acceptable and the norm. Um, growing up, you made an allusion, uh, you, earlier you mentioned that you know, D&D was mentioned as being you know, evil, a Satanist cult worshiping thing. Who thinks that these days? Yeah, that's true. Nobody. It's going to be a generational thing where something else will be the next big bad boogeyman. Um, God forbid it was guns. Mm, yeah, I digress. Yeah, true, true. Um, it's 
change sometimes is slow, change sometimes is fast, but compared to when I was, you know, 16 playing video games to today, a 16 year old playing video games, there's far more acceptance as it not being some, you know, um, closet dwelling troll who never sees the light of day playing a video game as to it's kind of the social norm. Yeah, that's true. That was great. That was a great wrap up right there too. Um, So (laughs) uh, we're running out of time. Uh, normally, normally we have a studio a little bit longer, but we're a little tight pressed for time tonight. Um, so we're going to wrap it up Blame right it. there. I'm going to have to Blame it on me. <laughs> no, it was a, a variety of things as well. Um, but uh, I'd like to thank both of our guests for being on. It was a great conversation. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Yeah, uh, it was an wanna... absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you, thank you. Um, and and that's that's what I love so much about this podcast, Jeff, is that um, we get to to meet people from uh, who are uh, experts in their field and get to share their passions and I think I think that's what you know as as what you're mentioning Landon like I think uh, if we can continue to let people share their passions with each other and continue to build a community uh, I think that whether it's about video games or other things I think we can really start you know shining a light on these fears and maybe make it not be so so scary yeah that's beautiful yeah. all right well, I, I, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much. Uh, make sure to find us on all of your social medias. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Stay tuned for this episode and listen to our back catalog as well. And uh, until next time, I'm Daniel. I'm Jeff. And we'll talk again soon. Bye.